the Ulster Economics Podcast. The podcast that keeps you up to date with what is happening economy-wise in Northern Ireland. Telling you what you need to know, but not necessarily what you want to hear. It is better to be prepared for the economic environment we're operating in and not the world we'd like to be in. Episode 18, Under the Tractor Bonnet with Cormac McCurvey. The cost of living crisis hasn't been the only crisis dominating the airwaves lately. Warnings of a global food crisis are coming in thick and fast. Last week, the World Bank's president, David Malpass, warned that the world faces a human catastrophe from a food crisis resulting from the Russian-Ukraine conflict. The World Bank warns that the Ukraine war is set to cause the largest commodity shock since the 1970s. This warning comes when global food prices were already at record highs, and according to the UN Global Food Prices uh, Index, it jumped 34% year-on-year in March, with wheat and oils rising by almost one-fifth and one-quarter in the month following the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. The World Bank projects we could see another huge rise in food prices of 37%. Clearly, all of this will add to the ongoing cost of living crisis uh, at home and abroad. In today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Ulster Bank's Cormac McCurvey, who is the uh, our resident expert on all things agricultural. And I, I think it was... Uh, 2019 was the last time that uh, both Cormac and I uh, were talking at the Balmoral Show and back then it was uh, the African swine flu uh, was all the rage and what it was doing to decimating the pig herds around the world. And so today things are a lot different but there's uh, a lot of crises and a lot of challenges uh, to digest and so Cormac, I suppose uh, my sort of first question to you is in terms of crises, to what extent does the agricultural community here see that there is a crisis uh, unfolding or is it just a case of the seeds of a crisis have been sown and we haven't just seen it yet? Hello, Richard. Yeah, you're probably right. The seeds have been sown and we we actually haven't reaped maybe the full potential of what that crisis may or may not turn out to be. Certainly at the minute, um, you at farm level, the increase that we have seen in feed, fertilizer, and energy costs have just are have been unprecedented. We haven't experienced these before. Both the the rate that they've gone up and the height that they've reached, so that has been a big issue. And um, you know, it's taken farmers all the time to try and adjust to, uh, to acclimatize to those those new input costs. Thankfully, output prices have remained relatively good for most sectors, not all, but most. So to date, you know, it's a question of trying to get used to it. And this year. Um, cash flow implications of it that farmers feel at ground level. But profitability, generally speaking across the board, actually hasn't just been impacted yet. And I suppose the fear is further down the road, do feed, fertiliser, energy costs continue to rise and farm gate prices don't? And that's where the real challenge will be. So yes, there's a lag at the minute. Generally, most farmers are working their way through that. Um, but it remains to be seen how that falls out. Okay. And in terms of we've, we've seen... Uh, the, the likes of Ukraine and Russia are the agriculture two agricultural superpowers. Uh, over thirty percent of the global's wheat production comes from those uh, two countries, and the likes of uh, uh, Ukraine is also it's about seventy or eighty percent of the world's supply of sunflower oil comes from there. 
we've we've already seen sanctions imposed on uh, wheat from from Russia, but to what extent are we seeing are, are any of the farmers here or the the agricultural sector experiencing? Uh, are seeing some of the problems linked with the Russian-Ukraine conflict at the minute? So I suppose directly at farm level, Richard, the most immediate impact has been the price of fertiliser. And, you know, some farmers have held off and said, look, much too expensive. It has nearly tripled, tripled in price over the last year. And as a, that's just part of farmers trying to get used to it. Some farmers have bitten the bullet and said, look, grass is still our cheapest food here, cheapest resource here to grow grass is using fertiliser. The fear is, I suppose, some farmers have held back and are using less fertiliser. And in itself, if they've less stock, that in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the fear is, if you're trying to grow the same amount of fodder for this winter, with less fertiliser sowing, you're going to have less fodder. And if there's less fodder, then what, do you, what does it mean if you have the same level of stock? You have to replace that then with even more expensive grains. So, you know, the, the implication of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, yes, there's an immediate effect in that we've seen energy and particularly fertiliser costs rise. The longer term effect is what's it going to mean for this winter? What's it going to mean for following spring in terms of sowing fertiliser? Because we probably came into this year with some carryover fertiliser in stock in yards from the previous year. This year, obviously, that's not going to be the case. So will we have the availability of fertiliser? What cost is it going to be at? And equally the same with food. You know, if we can't get the grain out of, out, out of Ukraine, um, there's some feeling that Brazil will, will shore up some of that demand. But in terms of directly on farm, you know, we see the cost of inputs that's gone into farm. And I suppose a, where it really brought home to me the implications of it is how the price of younger beef cattle has fallen away. You know, those cattle were meeting a very, very good demand. Um, mature beef that's ready for a factory, ready for slaughter. Uh, unprecedented good prices for it. Great to see it. But unfortunately, you know, cattle that are 18 months younger than that, really just born this spring, those cattle are meeting a very difficult market because a farmer who traditionally bought those cattle was buying it on the assumption that, you know, they had a fair indication of what it was going to cost to feed them and the cost of production to take them through the beef. Currently, that's virtually impossible to calculate. And the fear is, you know, if I, have a, if I have a very expensive winter to feed that animal with high grain costs to graze it next spring, next season, with high fertiliser costs, am I going to get the, enough from the factory gate when I go to slaughter that animal to repay all the outputs that I've gone? So that's a very difficult one to calculate, and therefore you know, farmers have decided and said, look, I'm not buying those stock this year, or I'm buying them much fewer than would have traditionally been the case. Yeah. And uh, I, I suppose that's a problem of the kind of vicious cycle, uh, which leads to high prices, then leading to uh, uh, lack of production. People look at farmers looking at using less fertilizer. If you use less fertilizer, and uh, according to a chief executive of one of the world's biggest uh, fertilizer companies, fifty percent of the world's food uses fertilizer of some shape or form. And so, if uh, farmers stop using that and reduce it uh, and use less, the outcome is then going to be less food, lower yields, and that causes problems, lower yields, short, lower supply, then that leads to price rises, etc. Have we, as far as the, the, the huge soaring fertiliser costs, have we ever been in a situation where we've seen fertiliser prices rise as much as uh, they have done over the last year? Not at all. Not in my memory anyway. Maybe if you go back to the 70s and the oil crisis, honestly, I'm not really sure. But certainly um, in living memory that I would know of, not a chance. It is never, this is unprecedented. And in, in terms of um, how conditions are maybe 
leading to lower production. Like, because there's, uh, I, I read uh, the other day about the uh, uh, British Free Range Egg Association, uh, Egg Producers Association, which is it's like one of those uh, uh, question rounds on have I got news for you in terms of a, a headline from the uh, from uh, their journal. And what they were saying is that in, in Britain. Uh, the cost of feed for uh, for for hens for for eggs has jumped by fifty uh, percent, while energy costs are up forty percent. And the net result of these cost pressures is that uh, over half of free range egg producers in GB are looking at uh, stopping production altogether, just because the costs don't make it viable. And is that the same here in Northern Ireland, or what's the picture here? So all intensive. Uh, firemen, whether it's pigs or poultry, are facing, and indeed horticulture too, are facing those high input costs for poultry in particular, obviously very heavily reliant on bought in grain. So as the price of that has gone up, it certainly has impacted the farmer's margin. And unless he can pass that on and get through higher prices, where is the incentive to continue on? It doesn't make sense. In Northern Ireland, thankfully, a lot of our egg, free range egg growers are on a feed tracker. So as the cost of feed goes up, the margin that they get or the price they get per dozen eggs goes up as well. So they're partly protected, not fully protected by any means, but they're certainly partly protected and insulated from that increase in feed price. Um, how long that continues on for, respect to what we said at the start. So at the minute, yeah, it's a challenge, but most of them are working through it. But what's the long-term implications of it? We don't actually know yet. If, for example, feed price was to double again or go up by another 50%, will the market actually pay for it? We don't actually know, but as of current position, generally speaking, most of them are getting through it. But without a doubt, it's difficult. But that feed tracker does give some comfort that maybe others, particularly in GB, don't have. But at least we have it here. Okay. As someone who has boiled eggs every morning for breakfast, that's uh, certainly good to hear. And in terms of looking at the kind of profitability and viability of uh, uh, other other parts of uh, agricultural produce... Uh, you know, in terms of milk and beef, we've been seeing particularly in milk high prices. Uh, you know, are, are high prices good news for farmers? Uh, and, uh, you know, will these high prices last? Well, look, I suppose anybody that's selling something likes to think they're selling into a high price market. It's great. Uh, traditionally speaking, the cycle in farming would show that when you get high prices and a spike in prices, generally speaking, there's overproduction. That leads to lower prices. And you end up just in that tailspin. So, you know, it's um, steady prices at a relatively high level are probably better than a spike. This time around, it is different because those input costs and the cost of production generally are so high. There really is no incentive to produce an awful lot more milk. You know, so, so the likelihood is if supply of milk just stays that small bit behind what demand is, then that creates enough of a buffer to, to ensure prices are relatively high. There is a concern, I suppose, over the longer period of time, countries that maybe we export dairy products to or beef products to might feel, look, the price is getting to a level now where it kills off demand and they actually look for a substitute. But again, I think an awful lot of those substitutes have risen so much in price. There really probably is limited alternatives to what others can do. So there's a general feeling that maybe customers may start trading down from premium products into lower or mid-range products. Um, I actually haven't seen any proof of that just yet. I suppose there's always that risk. But equally, you know, this this... Uh, these high input costs have affected all food. So it's not as if to say, you know, there's some huge demarcation between 
what customers buy at the minute and what they may what alternatives might be out there in the market. The prices have risen for nearly everything. And in terms of the the rise in the milk price, is that uh, is that due to energy prices or is it not really? Milk is slightly different, um, Richard. It, it's really because of supply and demand. So high costs of production have forced milk farmers across the globe to produce less. So you know within Europe, the big ones of France, Germany, Holland are reduced production. Um, closer to home, our production is relatively stable. Uh, in GB, it's down. In the Republic of Ireland, it has stopped rising. It has been rising very fast over the last number of years, but that actually has stopped this year. Um, New Zealand is at a nine-year low. So, you know, those big export milk-producing regions around the world have all curbed the production, mostly through because of the high input costs, some because of environmental issues. Uh, but because of that, you know, supply is now um, not meeting demand. And as long as you have that position, the chances are you're going to have a relatively good milk price. You know, so farmers um, locally here in Northern Ireland, cost of production is has escalated hugely. But you know, today we're sitting at a base price of around forty pence a liter. Um, Eighteen months ago, that would have been, you know, there's no way that you'd have ever dreamed that milk could get to forty p. But that's where we're at. The truth of it is, their margin actually hasn't improved a terrible much because of the rising input costs. But thankfully, the market price has kept up with it. Okay, and uh, if we look at other areas of the economy where there's a, a mismatch between supply and demand, the obvious one at the minute is in, in terms of labour, the supply of labour. We're seeing uh, the nijobs.com uh, jobs report, which uh, uh, is in conjunction with Ulster Bank, showed that in the first quarter of this year there was another very buoyant uh, recruitment market and while the number of vacancies was down on the least, on some of the record highs of uh, recent quarters, you're still looking at uh, vacancy levels over 60% above where they were uh, in the corresponding quarter in 2019. So in terms of uh, looking in terms of food producers and uh, the uh, the kind of agricultural sector, what what is the... Uh, picture like in terms of skill shortages because I know the likes of England uh, we we have a lot of that they make use of a lot of the uh, temporary uh, seasonal visas for fruit pickers etc yeah. and the fact that uh, we've had we've seen Brexit and uh, that has turned off the supply of labour from EU nationals so uh, what is the picture like in, in Northern Ireland in terms of skill shortages within the food producers and agri-sector and uh, how has the uh, Brexit impacted on that? So probably two very different sectors, Richard, in that at farm level in Northern Ireland, most farms here are still family-owned, family-run, um, local labour if it's employed at all, and usually that's in the intensive sector of pigs, poultry, horticulture, um, and generally speaking, those sectors have got away relatively well, part of it because they've invested in you know, other mechanisations to try and reduce the labour input that's involved. But they're not, they were never overly reliant on um, outside labour. Most of it was family-related. But you're right, on the processing side, it has been huge, the, the impact, because that steady supply of um, Eastern European labour that was coming in here is no longer the case. And that has had um, fairly serious effects on the processing sector, um, part of it was masked by COVID, um, but you know farmers here, particularly on pig farms, where the pigs couldn't be killed and the numbers that they were needed to every week because there wasn't enough people on the processing line to actually process the pigs, they had a huge backlog on farms. 
pigs being overfit, being overweight, then when they got to the factory to be slaughtered, and then the farmer being penalised. So it did have a direct effect on farmers, even though the farmers weren't directly impacted by the labour themselves. But two very different sides there, in that the family-owned farm, generally speaking, has got away relatively well, but the processing sector that was very heavily reliant on those Eastern Europeans and that supply of labour has, has dried up. I noticed today that in a manufacturing survey uh, released by Manufacturing NI, it reported that over half of local manufacturing re- firms reported a decrease in uh, li- uh, migrant labour or from e- EU nationals was contributing to current uh, skills shortages. So Cormac, moving on to then just, I suppose, challenges and opportunities, and we've heard a lot about new trade deals with the likes of New Zealand. Is, is that a, uh, an opportunity uh, for Northern Ireland farmers to, to avail of? I think for Northern Ireland to compete with New Zealand could never really be seen in terms of farming as an opportunity. Um, it almost certainly is a challenge, but in fairness, Richard, it's a long way down the line. Um, there are significant tariffs in place, at least short term, and I think the truth be told, you know, if a Australia and New Zealand continue to seek out markets in China and Asia, I don't think they directly would impact on us, certainly not short term. Longer term is potentially, yeah. But is it an opportunity for farming? No, not in itself, definitely not. And then in terms of with the the whole focus on uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, the, the climate emergency and the whole issue of net carbon zero and you know, moving towards that have been sort of put on the, the back burner temporarily. But how big of a challenge is that whole net carbon zero for Northern Ireland's agri-industry? Well, look, a huge challenge for us locally. It's a global challenge um, that has to be met. You know, there, there's no way around it. There's no way to, to shortcut it. Um, it has to be met face on. And I suppose, um, you know, while we're, we have a part to play, um, the impact of global warming is going to actually hit those poorer countries and those countries more prone to drought and flooding and African countries in general, more so than here. So if it's not sorted, it's only going to create further crises down the road. But in terms of our own, to get our own house in order here in Northern Ireland, eh, agriculture is a significant emitter of um, carbon gases, of greenhouse gases. But look, there, there is plenty of potential available and plenty of specialism available and plenty of advice available from um, our research institute in AFPE, from CAFRI, the agricultural colleges here, from the Farm Advisory Service, and from all others across the supply chain, milk processors, beef processors, us as a bank in terms of how we fund. Everybody has a part to play on that. And I think, you know, that um, now we have the climate change bill in place, this, that will follow on with carbon budgets that will have to be met on a, on a rolling basis. But I think, you know, everybody will buy into it. I don't think there's, this is anything that we need necessarily to be concerned about um, on Julie. Uh, yes, there'll be implications of it. Yes, there'll be changes of production type systems. But the truth of it is over a period of time, that will all be absorbed into the into the mix. You know, it's not something that, um, it's certainly not something that we can run away from. And it's not something we, we can't overcome. We can, you know, um, I'm fully believe that. We have very good farmers here. We have a grass-based system. You know, we're not overly dependent on green, the way some other countries are totally on crops. We still have a very natural green grass-based system here. Um, and certainly, while it's a challenge, I think we're in a relatively good place, maybe compared to some other agriculture-producing regions across the world. Okay, Cormac. Cormac McCurvey, thanks very much. And uh, if there's anything that you can ever take out of uh, the agricultural sector is its resilience to weather the storms, whether they're weather-related, whether it's volatility with exchange rates, with input cost uh, uh, volatility, 
it always comes up and uh, it, it's always there. And if ever there was a sector which could uh, uh, deliver a masterclass in resilience to other parts of the economy, it would be yeah. the, the agri-sector. So thank you very much, Cormac McCurvey. And then just moving on to just then look at the uh, month ahead uh, to the month of May, we're likely to see a continuation of many of the recent trends relating to inflation. We have Northern Ireland's April PMI is expected to see firms report record rates of input cost inflation, and potentially they'll be raising prices at record rates too. April includes the employer's increase in national insurance contributions, the new national living wage increase, and the VAT for the hospitality sector returns to 20%. So all of those costs are coming to bear in, uh, in April. April's UK CPI, or consumer price inflation figure, will be closely watched too. Having hit 7% in March, we could see 8% breach for April. It's also worth keeping an eye out for an acceleration in food price inflation within the basket of consumer goods. And uh, commodity prices will be sensitive to ongoing developments between Ukraine and Russia. We've already seen this week Russia turning off the gas taps for both Poland and Bulgaria. And we've seen the oil and gas price uh, prices push higher as a result. House price inflation will also be in focus with Northern Ireland's residential property price index for the first quarter of 2022. Q4 had seen the run of uh, growth nearly grind to a halt. And, but perhaps of more interest on the housing front will be what is happening with housing supply. And we get both the f- fourth quarter and Q1 housing starts and completions for the local house building sector. The Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee is also due to meet with another 25 basis points increase expected in May. This will take bank rate from 0.75% to 1%. And uh, perhaps surprisingly, that will be the highest bank rate since February and March of 2009. Signs of increased supply chain disruption are also likely to feature in the incoming PMIs at home and abroad. And with 300 million Chinese experiencing lockdown restrictions, uh, that's almost the population of the US uh, economy, COVID is once again going to be a source of supply chain disruption alongside that stemming from the Ukraine-Russian conflict. Against this background of slower rates of growth and higher rates of inflation, the chance of another downturn at home and abroad is rising. Until next time, I am Richard Ramsey. And this was episode 18 of the Ulster Economic Podcast, Under the Tractor Bonnet with Cormac McCurvey.